Folks, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to your New Testament, to the Gospel of John. We're going to look at the fourth Gospel. And what I want to focus on today, because this is Palm Sunday, we're not going to go to our passage that is the next passage in Galatians. We actually won't be in Galatians for a couple of weeks. Next week is Easter, so I'll be bringing you a word from God's Word concerning Easter and the resurrection of Jesus and its implication for our lives. But right now, I want to focus on Palm Sunday. It's, it's interesting. I struggled a little bit this week thinking about a message for Palm Sunday because normally I, I really don't do a Palm Sunday message because of how we do our services here. I do have a reflection I normally share on Palm Sunday, but a full message, I haven't done that in a few years. So I really struggled and I was really praying, but I think the Lord took me to this passage to kind of focus in on Jesus for a moment and his importance in our lives, especially in light of everything that you're going through right now, everything that I'm going through right now, with regards to this COVID-19 disease, as well as with regards to the economic situation that seems to only be getting worse. And so our attention, again, remember what I said, you either need to draw closer to the Lord or it will draw you away. Our attention needs to be with the Lord and looking to Him. So I want to reflect on something that happened on that day 2,000 years ago when Jesus entered into Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey. And so I want you to look with me. Let's look at this scripture together. We're going to look in the Gospel of John at uh, verses 20 through 28. It'll be on the screen. I want you to follow along with me. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me where I am, and there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. 
Folks, as we look at God's word here this morning, I just want to reflect on a few things concerning Jesus' triumphant entry. You know, when he came into Jerusalem that day, he came not in the expected manner of the people. What they expected when the Messiah came was for him to ride on a white horse of victory, to come and to overthrow the Romans and to free them from their oppression. But when Jesus came into Jerusalem that day, he didn't come on a white horse. He came rather on a donkey. In fulfillment of the scripture, in fulfillment of the prophecies that said that he would do that. And when he did that, the people who were there, his followers, and all of the onlookers who knew anything about Jesus, they grabbed palm branches, they broke them off, and, and they spread them in their garments on the road as he made his way into Jerusalem, as he made his way into the city of David to honor him and to praise him. Of course, the religious figures were upset with that. They asked him to, to silence his disciples, and he said, no, they, they need to cry, to cry out in praise because if they were silent, the rocks would cry out instead. And that's typically what most of the Gospels present is the triumphant entry in that way. I know that because I read all of the other Gospels this week, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, though, adds another portion to that day, and it talks about this interaction that Jesus has with his disciples concerning some Greeks who came and wanted to know more about Jesus. Now, remember, this is the feast time. This is the festival time. They're getting ready to celebrate the Passover. So pilgrims would be coming into Jerusalem from all over the known world. All over the known world, they would be coming to celebrate the Passover there in the Holy City and at the temple. And with that, of course, there would be some Greeks. They're more than likely God-fearing Greeks. That is, they believe in God, but they haven't taken that step of becoming a proselyte. And so they are there, and they are wanting to meet Jesus. So, of course, they go to Philip. Philip goes to Andrew, and both Andrew and Philip go to Jesus. And now, it's interesting to me because of the reaction of Jesus. It's not the typical reaction you would assume that the passage would tell us that Jesus interacted with these Greeks. But rather, Jesus tells us something very interesting. He tells us what he came for, the purpose that he came for. In spite of all of everything that was going on and who was presenting themselves to see him, Jesus expresses to us in this passage what he came for. So I want us to look at this passage and really divide it into three sections. When we look at verses 20 to 23, we're going to see that Jesus is single-focused. Jesus is single-focused. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It may kind of be like, wow, really? But I'm kind of glad that he was single-focused. You should be too. Let's look at a couple of things here. First of all, Jesus was not distracted by the immediate reaction. 
Jesus was not distracted by the immediate reaction. Now, what do I mean by that? Think about that, folks. He's coming into Jerusalem, the Messiah. People are breaking off palm branches. They're waving them. They're laying them down. They're laying down their garments. They're crying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. People, everybody is all excited that Jesus, the Messiah, is coming into Jerusalem. For you and I to get that much acclaim, for you and I to get that much attention, that would be pretty distracting. We might actually enjoy that. That might actually be the kind of thing that you and I would be like, wow, let me enjoy this moment. This doesn't normally happen. But I want you to see when Jesus comes here, that's not what he's thinking. In fact, he makes an interesting statement here. When you look at verse 23, he says this, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, I think that's interesting because when you look many times in the first 11 chapters of John, Jesus would say, before this, my hour has not come. Remember he said that, my hour has not come. Like when his mother asked him to take care of the wine problem in Cana at the wedding, we see Jesus referring quickly and saying, my hour hasn't come. What do you want from me? What was this hour? It was this week that we're getting ready to enter into. The purpose of why he came. He wasn't distracted by all of the acclaim and all of the people who were all ooing and aahing because I think he understood the reality of what was happening. Here they are. Wow, Jesus is here. Blessed is he who's coming in the name of the Lord. In just five days, they're going to be hollering, crucify him, crucify him. So Jesus was not distracted by the immediate reaction. Here's the other thing I want you to see. Jesus was not distracted by the opportunity. I mean, listen, up until this point, his ministry truly has been to Israel, to the people of Israel, to the Jews. In fact, he said that he came to minister to the lost sheep of Israel, to the Jews. And now here at this moment, right before his hour has come, the Greeks are there. The Greeks are wanting to inquire about Jesus. Man, what an opportunity! What an opportunity for him to broaden beyond Israel. But he didn't take it. I think there's a lesson there for us. He didn't take it. Why? Because he wasn't distracted by the opportunity. He was single-focused on what God wanted him to to do. That's where his focus was. And what did God want him to do? God wanted him to go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sin. He wasn't distracted by the opportunity. I mean, just kind of as a side note for you and I, simply just having opportunity arise doesn't mean that we need to take it. Opportunity doesn't necessarily mean God's direction. 
Sometimes what God wants is different than what the opportunity is. And Jesus knew that. Something for you and I to think about. So what we see here is, is that Jesus was single-focused with the hour that he was to fulfill and to glorify God in himself and glorify him ultimately by going to the cross. And with that, as he reflects upon his purpose, he gives a principle for life here. A principle for life. Look at what he says in verses 24 and 26. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So what he's going to do here is as he's describing his whole determined purpose for why he was here, what he came for, he's going to give us a principle of life that he follows that really he wants you and I to follow as well. And I think that's so important, especially as we look at our world right now that has been completely turned upside down. So here's what I want you to see. Here's four things I want you to see about this principle for life. First of all, nature shows us that unless something dies, its purpose is meaningless. Nature shows us that unless something dies, its purpose is meaningless. Do you understand? So what he's using here is he's using the illustration of a grain of wheat or a seed. I think in terms of like when I'm thinking about a seed, I'm thinking about the seeds that my wife Lori would plant in the garden. In fact, she had me go yesterday. We made our one trip into Clearfield and I was to pick up some seeds for some plants that she is going to grow in her garden, which will produce a vegetable that I will reluctantly eat because I don't like vegetables. But when you get that packet, it has a seed. That seed by itself is meaningless unless you do something with it. And, he, and that's basically the truth from nature. Unless something dies. Now that seed dies when you put it into the ground. Unless that seed dies, its purpose is meaningless. This is what Jesus is saying. Our lives are meaningless unless we die spiritually. Do you understand? Unless we die spiritually. For Jesus, his purpose was meaningless unless he went to the cross to die for you and I. So that's the first thing we're going to see here. Here's the second thing. Jesus points out through nature that death is the way to life. Death is the way to life. So again, using through nature the illustration of a seed, when you plant that seed, it goes through the process of germination, and it sprouts, and it becomes another plant, and then with that it produces its fruit, whatever that might be. 
For some of you, you're planting your tomatoes. It produces a tomato plant, which then produces those tomatoes that you will use later, or corn, or peppers. It, through death, it makes its way into life. It's the way to life. And that's true for you and I. You and I need to die to ourselves and what we want so that we can have life. It means dying to ourselves so that we are a blessing then to others. Let me tell you something that just happened two and a half weeks ago. Happened in the first week of our crisis. You know, typically... I think a lot of you are like me. We kind of made multiple trips into town to get our groceries. So, you know, I've never really, I can't think of a time when we've had like an overflowing basket of all the stuff that we wanted. Well, having been forced into a situation now where we go once a week, my shopping cart's pretty full because we're getting what we need for a week. So in the first week, I had Lori's list, which I have to have it written down or I won't get everything that's on the list. And then I call her 20 times to make sure what's on the list. But I'm getting going through the checkout. And I'm in line. There's an older gentleman in front of me with his few items. And then there's a lady who's up front and she's finishing up her transaction. They're they're scanning off the few items that she had left. And so I'm just kind of sitting there. I'm looking at my emails on my smartphone. And um, the guy says, the lady's done. She pays. She gets her receipt. And the cashier looks at the old man and says, your groceries are taken care of. And he looked at her and said, what? And the lady who was in front of him turned around and said, I bought your groceries, sir. Have a great day. And she got her cart and she pulled away. The old man who was there in front of me, he had to be in his mid to late 70s, looked at the cashier and said, what? And the cashier looked at him and said, that lady just bought your groceries, sir. I'm standing there and I'm looking, oh my goodness, what a blessing. What an amazing testimony that in this time of upheaval, here's somebody who's not focused on themselves, but they're focused on helping other people. So that gentleman left and I sat there and I thought, wow, what a testimony of dying to your selfishness and being others-minded. See, this is what Jesus is pointing out here to us. Jesus is pointing out that through nature, death is the way to life. Dying to your own desires and putting others first and so forth is so much better. And that's what Jesus did. He he died to what he wanted and put us first. That's what I want you to see there. Here's the next point. Your perspective on life is reflected eternally. 
Look at what he says here. Your perspective on life. This is an amazing thing he says there. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What is he saying here? If your focus on life right now is you and what you want, even to the exclusion of others, even sometimes to the exclusion of family, it's all about you, it's all about you and what you want, you ultimately are going to lose your life, period. Now, I'm not talking about death. I'm talking about spiritual death. Jesus says your focus is totally on yourself. You're going to lose your life. But if you hate your life in this world, what does that mean? What does that phrase mean, hate your life in this world? What it means is, is you're not attached to this world. You're, you're holding on loosely here. You're actually looking for something beyond here to, to being with Jesus, to being with the Lord. And if you are focused there, your perspective on life is not here, but there, you'll have eternal life, that's what he's saying. So your perspective on life, Jesus is saying, is reflected eternally. Your perspective on life now is reflected eternally. And then finally, out of the principle of life, he says this, dying to yourself means following Jesus who in turn will honor you. Dying to yourself means following Jesus. See, this is the thing. Who are you living for? Who are you living for? Especially in a crisis, that really shows who you're living for. Who are you living for? Are you living for others? That lady who paid for that gentleman's groceries that day? Folks, you can tell, her, tell where she was living. She wasn't living for herself. She helped out somebody else. Dying to yourself means following Jesus and what Jesus wants from you. And in turn, Jesus says, he will honor you. The Father will honor you. That's reality. That's the principle of life. That's what we see from Palm Sunday. It's not about us, folks. It's never about us. It's about Jesus and serving others and being there for others. Well, then I want you to see with me after the principle of life, Jesus then turns his attention to the most important. This is what is the most important. Remember, he wasn't distracted by the big hoopla and everybody crying Hosanna and all the, the people who were ooing and aahing about him. He wasn't even distracted by the, quote, opportunity for more ministry. But rather, he focused on the most important. So notice with me what he says in verse 27. I think this is very interesting. He says, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, I just want to point out two final things here from this passage. Okay, two final things. Jesus did not allow his emotions to dictate his actions. Listen, Jesus is God, we know that. But Jesus also is fully human. 
And because he was fully human, he experienced human emotions. And the thought of going to the cross and dying there and what he would face in going to the cross, that whole brutality of that situation from the moment in which he was taken to the moment they would thrust that spear into his side, the emotions of that were real to him. And he says here in this passage in John, verse 27, what shall I say then? Shall, shall I ask God to, to let this pass from me? And his answer is, no, I'm not going to ask that. I'm going to glorify you. He didn't allow his emotions to dictate his actions. Aren't you glad for that? I am. Because the fact of the matter is, is if he didn't go to the cross, you and I would be without hope right now. You and I would be without any possibility of hope, any possibility of forgiveness, any possibility of something beyond this world and all of its troubles. Jesus did not allow his emotions to dictate his actions. And here's the last thing I want you to see about the most important. Jesus recognized and embraced his great purpose. Jesus recognized, this is why I came, to go to the cross. It wasn't to live for myself, but to live for others, to die for others. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Why? So that those who would believe have eternal life. That was his purpose. He recognized and knew that the cup that he was to drink from, that cup of wrath, he knew that the cross that he would bear and be nailed to was for the purpose so that you and I would have eternal life, that you and I would have that relationship established once again with God that was broken that was broken years ago by Adam and Eve in the garden. That reconciliation would come. Redemption. He recognized and embraced his great purpose. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you thankful that he died for you? As we conclude our time here, let me, let me give you two things to take away from this Palm Sunday message. Okay, Two thoughts that I want you to wrestle with. Okay, Here's the first one. Jesus puts life and its difficulties into perspective. Right now, life for us is upside down. Right now, life for us makes no sense. Four weeks ago, we were like, man, I'm glad spring's coming. Here's my plans. Here's my dreams. Here's what we're going to do when the summer comes. And then, boom, the next day, all of that changed. And now we don't have any plans other than when's our next trip to the grocery store? And how do we stay healthy? And how do I pay these bills? And how do I make ends meet? 
everything changed. And, and let's be honest with you, and it isn't just for the moment. It's forever changed. This has forever changed our lives and our nation. And we'll adjust. But Jesus puts life and its difficulties into perspective about what's most important. What's most important, because you need only look at his life and you see that he put his life into the perspective of why he came, why he was here, and what he was doing. And what he was doing was that he would go to the cross and die for us. He came for that hour, for that week that we're about to celebrate this week, the Holy Week. Jesus puts life and its difficulties in perspective. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, it helps us to put it in perspective because what we have is the Lord and the hope that we have with him. Here's the second thing I want you to leave with today that I want you to reflect on. Which perspective is guiding you? It's a good question, isn't it? Which perspective is guiding you? Is it a self-perspective? Or are you thinking about others? You know that lady in the checkout lane? <laughs> she was a blessing to an older man with his needs at that moment. Her perspective wasn't on herself. It was on someone else. Where's your perspective? Remember I told you, with a crisis, with a crisis, it will either drive you to the Lord or away from the Lord. See, this question is reflective of that. What's your perspective? If your perspective is on yourself and, and oh God, I can't believe you did this to me and you're walking away from him, that's telling you where your perspective is. But if your perspective is on the Lord and resting in the Lord and resting in his salvation and resting in his grace in your life and your mercy, it's going to drive you to quit focusing on yourself and focus on being there for others. So ask yourself that question. Which perspective is guiding you? Now my prayer is that in this Holy Week, as we've entered into Palm Sunday today, as we go throughout this week and reflect upon what Jesus did for us on Friday when he went to the cross and died for us, and then on Sunday when he arose again, giving us eternal life, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to change your perspective on this world and turn your eyes to Jesus. Let me pray for you.